Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm going to guide you gently through another show with an exceptional guest this week. We've got Rich Ferraro, who's CCO at Glad, and uh, great to have you with us, Rich. Welcome to uh, the PR Week podcast. Hi, Steve. Excited to speak with you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to chatting. And we've got Frank Washcook, who's the executive editor of PR Week, our regular co-host. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Looking forward to chatting. Lots to get into. So let's go straight into it. Rich, um, you this week have launched the latest stage in a a great project with Procter & Gamble called the Visibility Project. I know you've been working with P&G for a while. In fact, I remember a great event at Davos. It's only last year, last January, although it feels eons ago in uh, in the Swiss ski resort. But it was a really, really terrific event with Mark Pritchard that Chief Brand Officer over there. Tell us all about um, the Visibility Project and what you're trying to achieve with it. Yeah, and it's hard to believe that that was really the last in-person event that I think I attended, but uh, the last time that I saw you as well um, at the World Economic Forum Annual Meeting in Davos. Um, So we have been um, working with Procter & Gamble for several years to grow inclusion and grow the uh, improve on the quality and the quantity of LGBTQ inclusion in ads and in public communications that brands put out. And GLAD's an organization um, where our theory of change is centered around the fact that what people see in the media, whether that's news, entertainment, social media, video games, kids and family media, you name it, GLAD is there behind the scenes because what people see in the media shapes their opinions of LGBTQ people and our issues. Um, What people see in the media, you can draw a direct line to um, the decisions that are made in courtrooms, in classrooms, in living rooms, and at the ballot box. So GLAD's whole approach to social change and our role in the LGBTQ movement is to work with those various media and content creators to, um, to present fair and accurate representations of LGBTQ people. And when um, we started um, at GLAD, when we started our work, it was really focused on news and Hollywood. And I first joined GLAD in 2008. And um, during that time, we've expanded into diverse genres of media. But one spot where we've, um, over the past few years, been putting significant resources in, is in advertising and public communications from brands. And there's no better partner on this front than Procter & Gamble, where they are the world's largest brand advertiser, but also um, they care deeply and have a deep understanding of what diversity, equity, and inclusion in those public communications really mean. Um, So years ago, um, we sat down with Procter & Gamble to speak about how we as um, two media advocacy forces could grow inclusion in this space because we know that um, if brands speak about our issues and present LGBTQ families and individuals in their public comms, in their ads, it's going to create change. Um, So last year at Davos, we um, premiered uh, research that we did with Procter & Gamble on um, where we we surveyed non-LGBTQ consumers and we asked them how do you feel when you see LGBTQ people in ads or when you see brands putting LGBTQ people in communications and PR campaigns? And far and away, 
the majority of non-LGBTQ people are comfortable. But what was a wonderful finding is that um, those people who saw us in those ads and in media, they were more accepting. So it's kind of data that is rooted in GLAD's whole mission, that when people see us in the media, when people get to know LGBTQ people, um, they become more accepting and they um, care more deeply about our issues. Um, so it's a great um, message to send to brands. And then another key finding of that research was that nearly 70% of those non-LGBTQ consumers said they were more likely to purchase a product from a brand that included us in an ad. Um, so it was that permission slip. And it was a huge change from when I started at GLAAD in 2008, where when we had corporate partners who were going to include us in an ad or even in a TV show or movie, we used to set up war rooms for crisis communications because yeah. um, brands were worried about backlash from non-LGBTQ people. So it was this great um, and kind of a permission slip for brands to begin including us more. So that was year one of this partnership. Um, what we announced this week was the second phase of research. Um, and that that research was not of consumers, but of business professionals. So we surveyed uh, 200 marketing um, comms and ads executives, both within brands in-house and then also in ad agencies. And the key takeaway was that um, far and away, all of those marketing and ads and comms executives, they understood the social good that was associated with including LGBTQ people in ads. And um, the other key finding was that um, there was not concern over a backlash of including us from non-LGBTQ people. The concern in our survey was that if they don't include us in an authentic fashion, they're likely to hear a backlash from LGBTQ people. I always tell our corporate partners at GLAAD and our media partners like LGBTQ Twitter is a force to be reckoned with. Um, so when brands are including us, it's so important to do so with authenticity, with accuracy and with diversity at the forefront. Um, so yeah, knowing the, the amount of, you know, the LGBTQIA plus, it's not just one group. It's like ethnic diversity, isn't it? That that Correct. brings in lots of different communities and you can't just lump everyone into one category. So I suppose uh, you've had, you've been getting, how have you been getting that, that message across as well? Yeah, well, that's that's one of the next steps of how we're going to be communicating with brands and one of the best practices that we'll be um, sharing with them. So right now, Glad, we have an arm of Glad called the Glad Media Institute, where we do behind the scenes consulting work with all forms of media and with brands when they do include us. And one of the first things we tell them is that it's not enough today to include a white um, cisgender um, gay man in your campaign and check that box. What you really have to do is be intersectional because our community is so intersectional. So representing transgender people, representing LGBTQ people of color, this is what our, um, our community is looking for when brands include us in campaigns. And it's also really powerful for non-LGBTQ people to see those images. And um, as a result of the research this year and kind of that confusion that a lot of brands and agencies are facing, what we're launching with PNG is called the Visibility Project, where we're going to put together um, leading brands can join that project and make a commitment to grow the quality, the quantity, the diversity of inclusion in ads and public comms. And we'll be having a table where we can create those best practices together with groups like the Association of National Advertisers and other industry groups. So we're going to create some of those resources for the brands to eliminate that confusion because we know there will be impact if we are included. 
Yeah, and uh, PNG has been a good partner, and uh, you know, for, like I said, that event in Davos was genuinely authentic. It wasn't just a marketing stunt by PNG to tick a box. Mark Pritchard, chief brand officer, there is totally committed, just in the way he is to ethnic diversity and other diversity. And um, they've they're going to invest a million over three years. What's what's going to be done with that money, and how are you going to utilize that support? Yeah, um, and they're they're um, backing this not only um, with financial support, but with um, real um, work and partnership. And what I mean by that is Procter and Gamble is joining us as we approach other leading brands and leading advertisers and public comms uh, brands that specialize in that. They're approaching them uh, with us, which is so helpful to not just have an LGBTQ focus group, but to have um, an advertising and PR powerhouse like PNG say, we want other brands to join us and come up with the solutions that advertisers are facing um, when it comes to inclusion. So they're putting a lot of thought leadership behind it and a lot of staff energy behind it. Um, and in addition to that, I think they've also been raising the bar consistently over the past few years. In addition to this research we've done, um, we've also been a thought partner on some of their big campaigns. And they're often some uh, brand that I point to with other corporate partners because they um, illustrate so many of the best practices. One of the greatest campaigns, which they shared in Davos and which brought tears to the eyes of many people in the room, um, was a, a, a commercial for Pantene, one of their brands called Home for the Holidays, where they spotlighted a transgender chorus, um, a, a real chorus, transgender, transgender chorus of Los Angeles. Um, they spotlighted them, and then you saw individual chorus members going home for the holidays. And for our community, that might mean your biological family or your chosen family. Um, and it was just a really powerful and authentic portrayal of trans experience, not during Pride Month, but during the holidays, which is another really key theme that we'll be driving forward with the Visibility Project is that LGBTQ inclusion is a year-round effort, not just in June for Pride. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's the same with uh, Hispanic Heritage Month or yep. you know, Black History Month. These things have got to be year-round. It's great to celebrate and it's great to to have a particular spotlight, but it has to, if it's all forgotten at the end of the month, then it's uh, not achieving its aim. Clearly, we, you know, we're living in a quite a divisive time, and we saw that in the election with, you know, very high turnout and votes for two quite dis divergent uh, points of view. And, you know, it has to be said there were, just as there was an increase in anti-Asian attacks and, and there, were, there was an increase in homophobic attacks, uh, before COVID, um, in, even in places like New York, which you would imagine would be incredibly um, LGBT-friendly environment. How do you approach that? And how do you advise brands when communicating around that, when people, some people might react badly to uh, these messages or characters in, in advertising? What, how do you navigate that? Well, one, we, we point to our research from last year that showed that um, nearly three quarters of non-LGBTQ consumers were comfortable seeing us in ads, which is something that um, I think was surprising um, to me as someone who lives and breathes LGBTQ equality. But I think it might be even surprising to ads that it's not really a risk to include us. You're not going to face that backlash that you once faced. Um, however, if you don't include us, that's when the backlash starts to happen. So if you think of the Hallmark Channel um, in December 2019, pulled an ad with a lesbian wedding um, from rotation on its channel. And the backlash was swift and overwhelming. And it happened during the holidays, during their 
key um, time for business and for profits. And they were dealing with a PR crisis because they pulled a gay ad. So what we did at Cloud was we spoke with Hallmark executives immediately behind the scenes and advocated for them to reinstate the ad. And we announced together that not only would they reinstate the ad, but they would be working with us on driving diversity across the Hallmark channel. And kind of a, an amazing story because this year for the holidays, a year later in 2020, they were not facing a backlash from the LGBTQ community and our allies. Instead, they were promoting a film that included the first gay couple on the Hallmark channel. And they got amazing positive earned media, social media buzz. And then a couple months later, earlier in 2021, they were nominated for a Glad Media Award, which represents the outstanding images of LGBTQ people in the media. So I think that the Hallmark channel is really a case study. And if you're seen as anti-LGBTQ these days, that's really the risk and the backlash could ensue. Um, but then also inclusion when it's done in an authentic way, when it's done um, in an accurate way as well, um, you're likely to get really positive earned media, social buzz um, and accolades around it too. Yeah, so it's, that's, a, that's a great turnaround story. And, and that's the right way to do it, isn't it? Rather than being divisive and, and you know, fostering hatred is to try and foster more understanding and discussion and uh, then change, you know, change policies and change attitudes. And that's that's the right way to go about it. So uh, brilliant work there. So for for what other corporations are particularly leading the way and in getting involved in this? And what's your message to brands and communicators listening to this who want to find out more or get involved to get their either get their agency involved or get their brand involved? Yeah, and we're, we're coming up on Pride Month just a few weeks away in June, um, our busy season, although I tell my team that every day is like a Pride March when you work at GLAAD. Um, So um, we're working with brands throughout Pride Month that are coming up with really creative and impactful um, campaigns. Um, Kellogg's is a really good example where we've worked with them to create um, a cereal that will be sold in select stores called All Together. And um, it's a mix of a bunch of different Kellogg cereals. And there's some edible glitter in the boxes as well. But what's best about the cereal is that on the box is some information about pronouns and the importance of recognizing people um, whose pronouns might um, be different than your own. So there's a little um, area on the box where you and where families and where children can write their own pronouns on the box. And I think coming from a really trusted brand like Kellogg's, um, coming from um, a family-friendly brand, and I think family-friendly today means LGBTQ inclusive, um, they're putting out this um, this great product for Pride Month that is going to not only um, position their brand as the inclusive brand they are, but also um, educate and um, reach non-LGBTQ people with some information. I think that's the power that brands have, especially beloved and trusted brands. And that's why I'm glad and many LGBTQ groups are leaning on brands to not only put out products like the Altogether Series, Serial, but also to take a stand on anti-LGBTQ legislation throughout the year. Brands have huge power in affecting legislation that affects our lives. So what we always tell brands is don't forget about us outside of Pride Month because we'll remember that as a community. Um, but then also don't just market to us, join us and join our movement. And that means like understanding and knowing what's happening in the LGBTQ space and getting your brand out there on important issues like the anti-transgender legislation that is um, moving forward in many states around the country. We're facing over 100 anti-trans bills in states around the country right now. 
Yeah, great stuff from Kellogg's, and uh, that's brilliant real estate on the back of cereal boxes for sure. So, yeah, good stuff. Listen, Rich, it's great to hear about this, and we'll definitely be following it at PR Week and uh, our brands, our sister brands here. So um, good luck with the rollout of uh, the Visibility Project and and developing that, and uh, we'll get your input into the news stories, which we'll turn to now with Frank. Um, Ketchum, Rob Flaherty's retiring. He's such a young man. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. So 32 years uh, at Ketchum. Uh, his last day of work is going to be June 15th. Um, yeah, he's well, most did he released. start when he was still at school, Frank? I mean, I can't call <laughs> up. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, stepping down June 15th, Rob, of course, was Ketchum's uh, CEO for a bit. That's a role now held by uh, Mike Doyle. I didn't know this, that Rob actually uh, was a Burson person, as they say, uh, but left there in 1989 to, um, uh, to become director of Ketchum's New York office. And he had roles, including New York City office lead, led the corporate practice, and was global president uh, and CEO, uh, handed off um, in 2018, the Barry Rafferty. So we wish him well. That's uh, interested to see what's next and, and uh, what company, what organization, where he'll be. Yeah, he's the word retiring gets a bit overused these days, doesn't it? Because I can't imagine for a moment that he's not going to do something after this. Although I did say see him say he's been doing this for 40 years and he, he wants a break. And I, I, I hear it. And, you know, so I'm sure he will take some time off and, um, and and uh, you know, spend some time with the family and just relax a bit. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be back doing something um, in the industry. It'd be a shame if he didn't because uh, he's got so much to offer. Um, Rich um, Ketchum's current CEO, Mike Doyle, is actually a board member of Glad and uh, an openly gay man, um, leading one of the world's largest PR agencies. It's great to see role models like that, isn't it, for young PR professionals to emulate and, and aspire to, you know, um, join sometime in the future. I think that's important. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. And, and Mike has brought amazing expertise in working with brands to our board. And as I mentioned, that's a key priority for GLAAD to leverage the power of brands. But I remember I started my career at Fleischmann Hillard and as a, a very a junior assistant account executive, there were very few um, out um LGBTQ people within Fleischman Hillard and within other agencies as well. Um, but what um, I found when I was starting out at the, the start of my career was that the ones who were out, they had started uh, an LGBTQ employee resource group within Fleischman Hillard. And this is before that was the norm. Um, and um, because of their leadership and kind of their um, ability to reach to a junior associate teach me some things about pro bono PR in the LGBTQ space. I don't think I would be the chief communications officer at GLAAD if not for those um, leaders within Fleischmann Hillary who were out and proud and um, brought junior employees to the table to work with clients on LGBTQ issues. So I'm really excited to see where Mike is going to take Ketchum, which is, which is a, a PR firm that represents such huge brands because I think he's approaching everything with a diversity, equity, inclusion lens and an intersectional lens at that to bring other marginalized communities to the table and prioritize the hiring there. And it's what most, I think, CEOs of PR firms should do today as well is to think about their hiring practices and think about their campaigns work with a DEI lens. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to see what Mike does. And congratulations to Rob on a great career. 
and uh, and uh, hope to get some some much um, deserved rest and then dust himself down and see what he see what he does next. Frank, this week's social media story that we have to have one to talk about is sort of uh, an IHOP. Um, I don't know if it's an activation. It was uh, based on the Adam Sandler. Tell us the story. What's this all about? Well, yeah, it kind of was. Uh, IHOP, which we've covered, um, I was just doing some research before this, and we've, we've covered so many buzzy things that IHOP has done over the past couple of years, uh, including the sizzling bacon uh, on oh, yeah. Clubhouse activation sure. from a couple of weeks ago, which was a lot of people enjoyed. And it's, it's interesting because it was so simple, but they, um, they figured out an interesting way to do it. So long story short, uh, Adam Sandler, the comedian and actor, went to an IHOP and uh, was basically turned away. Uh, and he he joked on Twitter that he only left IHOP because the nice woman, the hostess, told him the all-you-can-eat deal uh, didn't apply to the milkshakes. So uh, in response, now that got that got um, yeah, 120,000 likes. And so a lot of people saw it. But IHOP then launched a promotion declaring May 10th as Milkshake Monday uh, across Long Island. Um, and there was also a donation effort, too, which uh, for every milkshake, they gave a dollar up to $50,000 to Comedy Gives Back, which is a nonprofit that supports comedians uh, that have been struggling uh, because of COVID-19, because comedy clubs have been closed uh, and things like that. So, um, you know, it, it, it's one of those uh, campaigns with a good charitable element, you know, that ties to its brand. Really good to see. And um, it's also cool to see a brand that didn't take it too hard or get angry uh, when they got a negative mention from a famous person uh, on social media, because that sort of thing can go wrong in a hurry. It can. That's true. That's the way we need to go. Let's get away from all this divisiveness and and um, have a bit more uh, yeah, getting together. Did, do we know if our resident Long Islander Gideon Fiddlesack took advantage of the all-you-can-drink milkshake offer? Uh, you would have to ask him. I, I don't have any information on that. <laughs> okay. I like what you said, Steve, too, about not making this uh, an area of division, but I think teachable moments are where PR people need to go, and this was a great teachable moment not only for the brand, but one that raised funds for an amazing nonprofit, um, and instead of canceling brands when they step, when they make a misstep, we should be in a glad what I always do when I work with talent or with brands that have a crisis comms moment is look for that teachable moment to create some good out of a bad situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, social media can be a pretty toxic place. And I think the more we can do to um, get get a bit more togetherness on there, the better. And it's like what you were saying about Hallmark earlier. That's the right way to approach it. Um, yeah, well, on some more serious issues here, um, Massachusetts is suing Publicis Health over um, some work on OxyContin. What's the, tell us a few, bit more about that, Frank. Yeah, here's the long and short of it. The Massachusetts Attorney General, Maura Healy, has filed a lawsuit against Publicis Health uh, over the work that uh, that network did for Purdue Pharma from tw- between 2010 and 2019, which, of course, was the, the real height of the opioid addiction crisis in the U.S. Now, uh, their point of view, the agency, is that the lawsuit is completely without merit, uh, that the statute of limitations is over. Um, but so I, I don't want to speculate too much on what could happen here, because this case obviously has a long way to go. Uh, and a lot of things can happen with it. But it is worth noting earlier this year that the same attorney general in Massachusetts secured a $575 million settlement 
from the consulting firm McKinsey and Company for mm-hmm. the role that that, that company uh, did working with opioid companies to promote the drugs. So this, um, it, there have been successful suits against private uh, companies that have worked with opioid distributors, makers, things like that, um, that have resulted in you know big settlements. So something we will be keeping an eye on, as well as our other sister brands at Haymarket. Yeah, MMM certainly be all over that. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, this is serious stuff, and uh, we all know the incredible impact of the OxyContin, uh, you know, the, the use of misuse of that drug throughout the country and the harm it caused. So I guess, uh, Rich, it just goes to show that what, what we do matters, right? And anything in communications and marketing is, is important, and you have to take account of the ethics of the work and make sure you're doing the right thing. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's going to be up to the PR firm and the agency whether or not to sign a client and and to guide them on communications is pretty much it's very similar to agreeing with their stances and their actions. And I think there needs to be some accountability in the agency world about what clients you have. So if you have a, if you're especially for agencies, um, not to be hypocritical when it comes to DEI um, items, where we've had agencies at Glad where We've been in um, campaigns, for instance, when the Boy Scouts of America banned LGBTQ people from joining the Boy Scouts of America. There were agencies that were recruiting LGBTQ employees and were representing brands that were doing great LGBTQ work. But they also were um, working with the Boy Scouts of America. And we did call out some of those agencies because there needs to be accountability. It's their decision whether or not to sign a client. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, all that in the context, of course, with this, this particular case, it's an ongoing case. So yeah. don't want yes. to cast any aspersions on, on publicists on that until the case is finalised. Um, Frank, um, a, a, a veteran PR person passed away uh, recently who had a really uh, storied history, and Julian Reed was his name. Tell us about Julian. Yeah, Julian, uh, he passed away at age 93. He worked on the presidential campaigns of uh, President Eisenhower, President, uh, and later advised President Johnson, uh, President Nixon, Ford, Reagan, and President George W. Bush. Uh, had a really interesting moment in history in that he was one of the people briefing the press uh, after John F. Kennedy was shot in Dallas in November uh, 1963. Um, and he also uh, founded the firm Reed Poland Associates, uh, which later merged with Conan Wolf in 2001. So, you know, he has had a great historical moment that, well, not a great historical moment, but a very prominent historical moment that he was yeah. proud of. Yeah. And also has the distinction of, of founding what then became a part of one of the top few PR agencies by revenue in the whole world. So a real life well lived. Yeah, for sure. Was uh, Rich was Julian's work? I wasn't as familiar with Julian's work as as, as uh, I should have been, actually. But uh, was he someone you you noticed before? Same. I wasn't as familiar um, with his work, but I did see the news of of his passing, um, and it was um, interesting to see mainstream media pay homage to someone who's been kind of behind the scenes. I think comms roles are always behind the scenes. So to see mainstream media credit his career and celebrate his achievements and the important work that he did was, um, was pretty touching and, and I think important. 
Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's always good when the mainstream media does uh, recognize someone in the industry. Yeah. We're always um, behind the scenes, but we don't necessarily need to be. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's the job, isn't it? And yes. we all know that some of the best PR and comms is the stuff that never appears in public. So, um, But, uh, yeah, it is nice to get a little hat tip occasionally. So um, our condolences to Julian's family and but a life well lived and a very, uh, very storied and impressive life as well in the industry. And let's finish, Frank, on technology. Um, Newcom's leads at Apple and Cisco, and they're kind of linked, um, but very interesting people moves. Yes, they are. Uh, Cisco has a new chief communications officer. We'll start with that one because you might have read it first on PR Week. Um, so that's Maria Proveromo. Um, she's a two-year veteran of Cisco. She's also worked at IBM and other tech shops. She is stepping into the top communications role at Cisco because Stella Lowe, uh, her predecessor in that job, uh, is set to join Apple this month. Now, Apple's top communications position uh, had been open for just about uh, two years since Steve Dowling stepped down in September 2019. Uh, so Lowe is going to report right up to uh, the CEO, Tim Cook, uh, one of the more suddenly in one of the more prominent PR roles in the corporate in in the corporate world, um, and Cisco uh, also gets uh, a well-renowned person to fill their top communications job. So two very two linked, very interesting roles here. Yeah, it was interesting, and and it's kind of connected to uh, there was a we did a story today on our dashboard uh, comms tech. Uh, segment about the reputation of tech firms and how they'd they'd plummeted but actually the one that had kept relatively you know up there in terms of the reputation stakes was apple wasn't it it's a, it's a sort of testament to the power of that brand i think it is yeah and i i think it's also that you know apple touts this all the time they're not in the business of buying or selling data you know they make products and they've used that as a differentiating point and they've also used privacy as a differentiating point and i, I think that's helped them a lot over the past couple of years and also i mean that's they've managed to avoid a lot of the other things like that that facebook is dealing with like how much of the january 6th riot was planned on the platform and things like that you know that's not really apple's business so they've been able to avoid those things yeah rich tim cook is a gay man and uh, the ceo of one of the most powerful companies in the world how much of a role model is he for uh for, well, for everyone in business and communications but particularly in the in the lgbtq community yeah he he broke so many glass ceilings when he was announced um and i think created a pathway to become an out ceo which was something that years ago you just didn't see it was it was um rare to have someone be out in the workplace much less be out and leading a massive company like that and i think when you think of the new communications hires as well like there's a lot to be said about tech and you hear a lot about making sure engineers are diverse and really recruiting um diverse folks on the engineering and on the tech side but i think it's just as important for these new communications leaders to think about making sure their comms departments are diverse and i think Right now, whether it's an agency or in-house, like DEI within hiring within PR um, is is not a priority. And it needs to be because so many of these brands are working on so many diverse issues, especially when you think of Apple and Cisco. They're out there and so on so many diverse issues and with products. And you need um, PR professionals who are diverse. I, I'm on the, the board of PRSA New York and run their D&I 
um, committee. And one of our big priorities for this year is to send that message to the PR industry that our industry as well can't just advise some of our colleagues in tech and in other departments to be diverse and inclusive. We have to practice what we preach and prioritize that hiring too. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, it's... um... It's great to see what Tim's Cook's doing there and uh, taking yeah. the company. Not an easy task after such a you know a founder that's so um, associated with the brand. It's, it's he's he's really steadied the ship and and taken the brand, taken the company forward. So yeah, good stuff. Listen, Rich, it's been fantastic chatting to you and finding out more about Glad and the visibility project. So thanks for that, and good luck with the uh, the initiative. Thanks so much. We'll keep you updated on it. Yeah, thanks for, for having sure. me. Thanks for joining us, Frank. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And just to finish, don't forget the PR Week Global Awards. We are one week away from those. They are next week on the 20th of May. It'll be a slightly rolling ceremony throughout the day with the U.S. uh, segment, um, you know, reflecting many of the more U.S.-focused categories, but uh, it's it's all global stuff. And then the week after, it's the Brand Film Awards on the 25th, of May. It's going to be a fantastic show, really well suited to the virtual environment and some amazing brand films featured in that. And don't forget to get your submissions in for the 40 under 40 list, one of the most popular things we do and one of the most diverse and inclusive lists we put together. And uh, that the final, final deadline for that is the 26th of May. So do get working on that. We have our Hall of Femme virtual event on the 10th of June. And then looking forward to the fall, we have PR Decoded, and that's from the 12th to the 15th of October. And uh, the Purpose Awards will be part of that show on the 13th, and they're out for entries at the moment. So do start working on your entries for that. But that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.